In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode three twenty three. That's right. That's right. We're talking Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps forty two, forty three, and forty four. This is Dark Star Rising part one, two, and three. Um, At least according to the cover, the book, which is one of the great, the, the, again, the edit, the love of editing continuity problems because all the covers say Dark Star Rising, but everything inside keeps saying Dark Stars Rising. True. So this is uh, Robert Venditti's final arc uh, with the uh, with his uh, run on the title, and we might as well mention it now. It's been announced that uh, after this, uh, the title will be canceled. Now they can talk all they want about that, but really all that means is they could be shuffling the characters around. I mean, don't forget. Um, the Green Lantern's title will be picked up by Dan Jurgens, and Hal is a part of that book, at least for a bit, because supposedly, according to the solicits, Simon is on the run, so Hal's working with Jessica on something, so that could be something. Plus, you have the fact that Jon Stewart is a part of the Justice League, and then he'll be doing that whole ultraviolet lantern thing, so maybe this is just a temporary fix. I really doubt any of us truly believes that Hal Jordan is going to be going away. <laughs> so I just assume that this is going to be canceled in the interim while they figure out what's going to actually be going on with Hal and Kyle and Guy. Uh, and then they'll announce a new Lantern title because I really, 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 really doubt the only Lantern title they're going to leave on is going to be Green Lanterns without making a significant change to the cast. <laughs> Right, and still, I mean, everything everything at this point, based on a, from a rumor perspective, everything still points to the fact that we're sp- still supposed to have uh, Morrison. We're still supposed to have a new Green Lantern title with Morrison coming on, uh, just starting yeah. from scratch, not having, not inheriting uh, Robert Venditti's mess, and I mean that in the general sense, that he gets to, cre- he gets to create his own problems, not inherit somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but Mark is taking issue number 42 and 44. I'm taking 43, so Mark, or Mark you want to kick it off? I'm going to kick it off. Uh, hopefully, I, mean, I don't think these issue reviews will take a long time, but that's not because these issues aren't good. It's just because I think they're relatively straightforward. I actually I, I have to give an early disclaimer before we even break into any of these issues. So the first four issues of this arc, I actually like it, but... We've been down this road before where the setup in the beginning of arcs have been good just to fizzle out at the end. So 
I think the real question about any about this arc at this point is whether Robert Venditti can stick the landing, not whether uh, he can step up to the plate to uh, start it off well. So we begin in Space Sector 1. There's something we don't do very often. <laughs> the world of the controllers. And basically what we see is almost like we see kind of like uh, all, all the Dark Star mantles are being uh, forged and created. And we, we have the narration by the controllers talking about, you know, the Green Lantern Corps has held power for too long. They ineptly enforce their laws. And, you know, none have risen to overthrow them, which is not really accurate, just none have been really have been able to successfully overthrow them. Many have risen and tried. Uh, until now, we will match the Green Lantern soldier for soldier, army for army. The campaign of the Dark Stars has begun. So I, I kind of like the whole assembly line thing, because it kind of reminds you of, the, of, of like, the foundries in, uh, like, in Terminator. When you see, when you see all, the T8, all, the, all the T-800s coming off the... Uh, Coming off the assembly line, so we see, you know, we see uh, Kellick, uh, who is the, the head controller, looking into like the the reflective uh, visor of the new Dark Star mantle, and they and they talk about how uh, you know that you know basically these, how these Dark Stars are so new and improved, and they're much more indestructible than previous generations, you know, far more lethal, you know, they, they and they pre, and they possess tactical capabilities that surpass those of any lantern. And basically, you know, the Dark Stars are going to be their their aim. They're going to use them, you know, to further their control of their and their grand schemes in the universe. Uh, we cut back to Mogo, where we kind of have a little little interaction between you know Guy, John, and Kyle, which just basically sets sets the stage for something that obviously has as as Tomar too points out that this has been going on, you know. Fairly regularly, that uh, Somar Lee, the Zudarian who took over the ring for him after he uh, committed murder, that he uh, that she has been coming to see Tomar all the time, pretty much da- daily because she she's basically trying to make sense of this because you know she, you know he's a hero to her and and, and to the, the Zudarian people so she can't quite understand how you know how a hero could do all that and. You know, Tomar does his best to try to explain it to her about, you know, you know, Romat Room murdered and he murdered children and basically, you know, he just he he admits that he's kind of you know he's kind of disappointed that you know that he was the one who showed her the heroes are just like everybody else and she's just I like the way they have her eyes just lit up with the Green Lantern symbol in her eyes it's like a it's like she's you know insisting no heroes are better you know if they won't be good then who will and Hal shows up at this point and kind of. More or less, you know, set, you know, says says time out here. That uh, is a little bit too much for today. I think I think he's a little concerned that uh, I think he's a little concerned that she might get the wrong vibe off of, off of Tomar. So either way, you know, Tomar too is kind of left alone with Hal as Tomar leaves, and Hal, you know, Hal tries to have a heart to heart talk with her, him, excuse me, and he tries to point out, you know, he, first he kind of like he kind of thanks him for for uh, saying what, you know, kind of like saying what he said to Somar. And at the end of the day, we just get, basically, Tomar just admits that, you know, he, 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 you know, he feels guilt, but he doesn't really feel, he doesn't feel guilt for, you know, for what he did. He just, he feels guilt that he disappointed Hal. That given the opportunity, given the opportunity to do the same thing, you know, again, he would do the exact same thing. 
and he's trying basically they're having the, the whole point of this arc really is supposed to be about the different views on on policing and and justice and it, you know how how would just is it really justice if you keep just you know throwing somebody in jail when you know they're going to get out and they're going to end up committing the same crime over and over again when you have the opportunity to basically protect people from ever being hurt again by just ending it once and for all, and so this kind of like really lays the, really lays the groundwork for this, and Tomar makes it pretty clear that you know he would where where he stands on this, and I kind of like the way they intercut with the kind of like the foundries of the controllers because you keep seeing the mantles coming off coming off the line and we now now we now we find out that uh, you know you know Kellick is having a reaction and we and we find out that basically the the controllers have really <laughs> lost control of their dark stars before they even had a chance to gain control dark star 1 basically is online and he's searching for a suitable volunteer and Kellick tries to exert psych, you know his psychic controls o- over the Mantle, but he finds out that that doesn't really work. Uh, we'll have to talk about that. But pretty much, you know, the the controllers pretty much don't control the Dark Stars. The mantle of Dark Star One goes flying off. It's interesting that it has no. Again, this probably the advanced uh, capacities that Kellick was referring to. This might be an example of one of them, because the mantle has no trouble penetrating the the, the shield, if you will, that keeps the science cells from being basically it keeps them actually a, a jail cell the mantle has no problem penetrating and basically uh, suit, says to the Tomar suitable volunteer confirmed and it's do you wish to enforce lethal justice with the dark stars there's a split second of hesitation and Tomar says yes I like the way the mantle uh, breaks apart and basically adjusts to uh, adjusts to its wearer and uh, adapting to physiology, it takes it takes over Tomar and Tomar too of Z- of Zudar. You have been enlisted into the Dark Stars. And Tomar Tomar leaves. And I like the way Tomar kind of he kind of stuns Hal so to uh, get away. And Tomar as he's phasing out, I kind of like that too. He kind of like phases out. It's like it's like you said, Hal. We get to choose what kind of people will will be. I choose this. So after Hal kind of you know wakes up. And he's like, he, he he talks to John, Guy, and Kyle, and he, and he goes, "There's been an escape." And John says, "No," and says he notices it. And he's like, t- and he goes, "Tomar too. He had he had help from the outside." And John's like, "Who helped him?" And it's like, "It was something I've never seen before, but it's but it said a word we both know: Dark Stars." Next, the hunt for Tomar too. Yeah, uh, Ethan Van Skyver did this one. And it looked pretty good in most parts. There were a couple of parts I wasn't okay with, but nothing uh, nothing too drastic. You said you wanted to talk about the uh, controllers losing control. Yeah, what what did you think of that? I mean, I mean, I from, from my take was considering how quickly they, how much they were building up that the controllers, how powerful the can. I know, and I know it serves a purpose in the story that if they you build up, oh this this character, these characters are so powerful, then you, in, then you introduce another character that, like, almost immediately, like, that can do away with them or, or neutralize them, that in, increases the power set of that other group, but it just seemed kind of, it's it's not atypical, because the controllers always seem to fall into this trap, they always think they're more powerful than they are, so it, it does kind of fit, but they really were kind of building up the controllers to be 
um, not necessarily new and improved, but to, to, to really play up how much of a threat they were. And then right off the bat, instantaneously, they lose before they even really get a chance to deploy any of them. They're, they're losing control. I don't know if I really – I thought that – I don't think that worked for me, but I'm curious to see what you thought about it. I mean, it's it seems like sort of lazy storytelling. Um, I feel like maybe we'll get a more more of an explanation for it later on, perhaps. Uh, I'm, I I haven't read issue uh, 45 just yet, uh, but I'll say it's just like maybe the maybe the controllers bust out briefly, and there's some exposition that'll tell us how this happened or why it happened or whatever. Maybe building the dark stars took something out of them. I don't know, but for what we do know, it feels sort of lazy. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I mean that, that, that was in all honesty. I think, I think that was the only negative in this issue for me. I think in one of the, one of the issues, I think it might be, I think it might be yours. Uh, and I'll talk. And if it is, either way, when we get to when we get to this point, I'll touch upon it. But there's there's another. I, I this. I'll just wait because I just think I like the philosophical debate. If it's going to be a real debate, and you're going to present both sides, and you're going to kind of see where both sides are coming from, I think that the top this concept, this topic, is worth. It's a good. It's it's because it is a deep discussion. It's not necessarily black and white. What's right? What's wrong? But if it turns out not to be where it's where it's being slanted so one side is like you have to agree with this one side because of the way it's basically it's written, then I think so, I think then that's going to have a negative effect at least from my perspective on on this arc as a whole. But we're still we are still like to well, technically four issues into this arc, but only three for this episode. So I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. But I did I got off to a really good start. This was a, this was a strong issue. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, some of the, like I said, some of the art was okay with me. Um, I don't, I'm again, I'm not a fan of blank backgrounds. So the pages that had the white backgrounds with only like four panels sort of scatter tossed across it. I didn't enjoy that. When Hal first shows up, he's in a weird pose drawn sort of oddly. Um, so that sort of makes me look, you pointed out, uh, um, how what is her name? So the, Yes, you, you pointed out Somar's eyes. I think that's just a reflection of the science cells. Oh, I think it is. I th- I, okay. I think it is. I almost said it. I just I just think that that was a nice touch. I think that was because because in a way that's literally that's her wide eyed optimism, and you kind of and, and what and her what she believes the Green Lantern Corps is supposed to be. So symbolic. Yes, that's probably why. That's, I'm sure that's why you're actually getting the reflection, but it's supposed to put it symbolizes something more because she's trying to come to grips with basically her uh, her fallen idol here and what that means if if what she thinks is a hero and what a hero in her mind eye mind's eye is supposed to be and it turns out that it's not how how that has an effect on her so i kind of i kind of so i but i thought that was i thought she was i thought she was drawn wonderfully though right all right anything else about this one we want to talk about before uh going on to the next one yeah let's go let's go to Let's go to 43, which I, I liked. I had the Van Skyver cover of this one. I kind of like that when Hal's kind of like surrounded by the Dark Stars. Yeah, the variant is odd. It's not bad, but it is odd given uh, Kyle's costume. He's got an odd costume we've never seen him wear before. Um, but 43, entitled Lethal Force, 
is written by Robert Venditti, penciled by Rafa Sandoval, inker Jordi Tarragona, colorist Tomei Mori, uh, letter Dave Sharp, cover Ethan Van Skyver and Jason Wright, variant color cover by Tyler Kirkham and Tomei Mori, uh, assistant editor Andrew Marino, and editor Brian Cunningham. Uh, we open up across the uh, space sectors on various planets. We see various lanterns uh, reporting back to John and headquarters that there have been several executions across uh, the sectors of space. Um, uh, not Kaloy um, reports in with his partner. Uh, why do I always forget this other lantern's name? The second one oh. here. In the second panel. Graph, isn't it? Graph, yeah. Uh, Graph reports in uh, on some slaughtered individuals, uh, and Aresia reports in. Basically, all these people had uh, a chance to be arrested or surrender uh, in in the sector that Aresia is in. Uh, It was a life uh, sentencing facility because the uh, world that they're on abolished the death penalty. So basically it's just showing that the dark stars are running rampant, uh, taking criminals out one by one, giving them no quarter. So this causes, uh, John, Hal, Kyle and guy to go confront the guardians, explain to them what's been going on. John tells them that, uh, there's a planet in space sector one that, uh, they've sort of traced all this into, you know, Hey, we understand that with what happened with general Zod, you guys didn't want to interfere for whatever reason, but this is a, a threat to sanction. It's an it's a un, unsanctioned threat to law and order, and this needs to be handled. The Guardians agree and uh, agree to dis, uh, send out a force, and including Hal, John, Kyle, and Guy, and whatever lanterns John deems necessary to tag along. So he does, and he goes out there with like Hanu and Rotlop Fan and Two Six and Izamot and uh, Aresia and Tyriot and Graf, uh, and a few others we'll talk about later. Uh, and when they get to just outside of the orbit of this planet, they're, uh, talking about going in, but, he, uh, John says, hey, Stell, take Hanu, go scout it. Um, Stell's gone. John asks him to report, and he's like, I, I don't understand, John, I'm, I'm back on Mogo. He's like, what? And then ambush, the Dark Stars show up. They can phase jump. John orders everybody to fall back, but then they phase jump, and they're all back on Mogo. Um, but they're one less lantern. <laughs> Hal, Hal isn't there, but Hal, Hal is on the surface of the planet, um, and he is staring down an entire, I want to say, Voginian. <laughs> Uh, arranged fleet of uh, of dark stars, and if you know what I'm talking about, I'm referring to Hitchhiker's Guide, the Vogans. When all right, we'll talk about that later. It's an, it's, uh, it's an odd splash page, though. Yeah, it is. Um, double splash, I should say. It's an odd double splash page. Hal gets all hard and erect and decides to scream who's first at the crowd like a machismo bullshit (laughs) you know (laughs) like come on look at look at that double look at that double page spread that there that splash page rather like seriously you really think you're you're gonna scream 
who's first at that crowd of dark stars? <laughs> How cocksure of yourself do you have to be? <laughs> but whatever. He doesn't have to light up too long because uh, Tomar 2 floats down and says, hey, you know, we chose this. Hal says, you know, you can say that a hundred times, but I'm not going to believe you. So Tomar tries to go to work expressing essentially what he expressed in Mark's issue. Um, there's this, my issue is pretty heavy with the talkie talkie. He says, I told you I was in the science cells. I lived among the criminals. They don't talk about regret. They don't, they don't know remorse. They dream of future scores. They're kill list. Your laws let those evil aspirations breathe. And Hal says, I don't accept any of this. This is the controllers talking. They're using the dark star mantles to mess with your mind to make you think like they do. And Tomar says, Oh, there's something I need you to see. So he teleports, or phase jumps them, rather, to convince him about what's going on and shows him that the controllers are actually all under their control. The Dark Star Mantles gained consciousness on their own. The universe does work in mysterious ways. The controllers work for us now. Their psionic powers link our thoughts and the cosmic energy inside their bodies fuels our foundry. Um, and he says our number will continue to grow. Uh, the mantle sense their desire for true justice. It calls to us. We deputize them all. He says, haven't you asked yourself how John was surprised by our number? It's because only a tiny fraction of our activity has been reported. We've threatened no witnesses to stay quiet. Most do it because they see the rightness of our cause. In your heart, you do too. Sinestro and his fear, the Indigo tribe in their attempts to brainwash criminals into reformation, Atrocitus and his single-minded cult of rage. Even the Green Lantern Corps' insistence that weaponized willpower will lead to a just universe. So many methods, and yet the lawlessness worsens. It's the Dark Star's turn now. There's a mantle for you too, Hal. Only You only have to choose it. And he's like, I won't. Maybe you will in time. It's time to take you home. He takes Hal back to Mogo, where we see the Green Lantern Corps we saw, members we saw earlier facing down an armada of dark stars who are floating in the air with their hands raised. Uh, Kilawa, Guy, etc. all want to jump into the fray and start throwing punches. Uh, and Hal uh, tells, uh, or rather, um, John asks Hal one question, how many? And Hal says, more than us, a lot more. And Tomar says, your choice. And John orders everybody to stand down. And one of the Dark Stars disagrees with Tomar, but he says, uh, our lethal force is reserved for criminals. Uh, but if you know you attempt to interfere with us again, John will respond. They all phase jump out of there. Uh, and then guys... Uh, kind of saying, hey, you know, or, or rather houses, we can't beat them without help. Guys like you'll never know until we try. And John says, this isn't football. We only get one down. Good Kilowog, go tell them what happened here. And uh, Hal asks, who are we calling in for backup, John? Are we talking the Justice League? And John says, Batman in a spacesuit won't get us anywhere. And Guy says, who then? We're cops. Everybody hates us. Uh, and John says, here's hoping they'll hate the Dark Stars more. So uh, go to anyone who has reason to join us. Do whatever it takes to convince them. I don't care if they're a friend or a foe. Everyone has a stake in this fight. 
And next, friends in low places. So, talk about some of these lanterns on this splash page. Just to sure. get there. Sure. All right. Uh, first up, we see one of my favorite lanterns in terms of design. It's how how do we say it? Is it Tyrut? Tyrut? What do we what do we what are we calling him? How is it spelled? It's uh, I believe it's. Oh, hold on. Let me uh, let me pull it up here again. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you a curve. No worries. Uh, I have the web page pulled up. Uh, it is. Let's see. T U R Y T T. Maybe Tirith. Yeah, he uh, he he replaced Keyhan, uh, but he looks a lot, an awful lot like a Red Doomsday. But I think he looks kind of cool. I don't know what you think about his looks. Yeah, I, he he's always had a good look. What they got, yeah, for sure. And they got Vaz there, right from the from the. That looks like Vaz. I see Aresia too, Izamot, uh, Salak. The blob. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, Buddha with tentacles. Um, but the one we really want to talk about is the guy that guy in quotes that's under Hal's left armpit. I noticed this and I pointed it out to Mark, and we went on a little scavenger hunt to try and find out who this was. Uh, and Mark, why don't you tell him what we found? Well. We don't. Well, we don't have a name at the moment because I don't actually remember if that's lan- this lantern probably was given a name. But as soon as I saw this, it reminded me of the of the design of, of a, the Green Lantern that we saw in plant in the Planet of the Apes Green Lantern crossover, the uh, the Universal Ring story. Because I remembered, well, it made me think, and it turned out as we found out that I, at least I'm, I am right in at least the resemblance. That this was the Green Lantern that was entrusted with ba- with basically banishing the uh, Universal Ring, taking it out of our universe and sending it to you know to to another. And as we w- looked at this picture, the only thing that makes it questionable is looking at the picture in Planet of the Apes. It's pretty clearly a chick, even though she's extremely buff. So so maybe she's a little androgynous and what. And, and so maybe it probably it, it, it may very well be the same character. It certainly looks like it's designed to be the same character because the outfit's exactly the same. So if it's yeah. not the same character, it obviously is somebody sent from the same planet. But it, but considering the only reference point <laughs> would have been Planet of the Apes to have a, a lantern design like this, you have to think that this is like a, a kind of like an homage to that storyline and to at least bring that lantern into real continuity. So I, I would say whether it's a he or a she, we really can't tell from that one page. I think I think that it probably is supposed to be the same lantern that we saw. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 I agree with that. And I, I do like seeing some of these other lanterns. I like seeing, like, for instance, uh, Rotlot Fan show up. He's been showing up quite a bit lately. Um, it's cool to see Izamot. I'm going to assume that's Izamot. It does. It, he looks a little bit different than I expect Izamot to to look, but I, I, he, he can't be anybody else, right? I agree. Uh, what wasn't Izamot killed though? I don't think so. I thought Izamot. He cut off his. He cut. He no, cut off his legs. Cut off his game. legs. I thought. I thought he. I thought he bought it in another story, not in this book. I thought he. I thought he bought it in a, in another Green Lantern story, so in somewhere else. If he 
If he bought it during Edge of Oblivion or Lost Army, then it probably doesn't count. I don't think... Uh, <laughs> let's, let's take a look. Let me... Knowing how DC reacted to all that. Let's take a look. Uh, I just want to see... I like how 2-6 has become sort of like a staple member now, because we, we were there for yes. her introduction. Not that they do much with uh, her, but... They, they haven't done much with her for quite a while, but it's nice to... She keeps showing up in the background because she is... Let's, I mean, just face it, she is extremely recognizable. She's, you know, when, when you need, like, hey, let's let's get a crowd of, of alien green lanterns, she, it's, a, it's a cool thing to have in the background rather than all look just like random humanoids. When you see her, you're like, oh, oh alien. <laughs> right. And it's interesting that Salak still goes on missions. That's kind of cool. Yeah, his I like that they haven't relegated him. Yeah, his role is different, so, I mean. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up, in your issue, uh, all is quiet on the Green Lantern home front. So <laughs> Kyle tells guys, like, I, I'm, I'm not falling for your bait this time or something like that. You know, I'm not, last time this happened... And there was nothing for us to do. We ended up in the gym, and I'm still having flashbacks to your thumbs up move or something yeah. like that. And we we get some more funny stuff from from Guy. He's like, uh, <laughs> "I won't cry for a bunch of dead crooks like Rainer here, but this is a threat to real police. It's a rash, and the way to keep a rash from spreading is to uh, treat what's causing it, <laughs> even if." It, even if the cause is a really hot nightclub dancer from Miami. And Kyle's like, too much information, guy. It, yeah, that, that was a great line. It, it was from the – what I'm thinking of was from the Death of Hawkman miniseries. But they but they, they kind of revealed in the final issue that he, I guess that Izamat didn't get killed. So that, oh, okay. That's what I, so that's what I was – that's, I think, what I was – that's what I was thinking of. It looked like he died, but I guess in the last issue they kind of said that he – he just was yeah, I never read that. Yeah, uh, I, will be... I remember seeing seeing a, a page, so I think he was just on ice for a while as he was healing. So, yeah. All right. Uh, anything else about this? We, I, I guess, uh, we got a bit of them. Um, maybe we should like be uh, taking stock of their abilities while we do this. Um, we got a bit of this during the initial issue, but now we have confirmation from my issue. They can phase jump. Distance does not seem to be a problem for them, nor location, because they got into a science cell and onto the surface of a sentient planet, you know, essentially without being detected. So there's that. You'll also, I guess you'll also have to wonder, can they be detected? You know, like, can, can the, the energy that uh, does their face shifting, can that be tracked? John says to the Guardians that they've sort of tracked things back to a central planet, but kind of what I got out of all of that is the way people, like, triangulate stuff. You know, like if a serial killer in a certain city is hitting, you know, this person and this person and this person and this person, and you kind of account for their job, uh, their home, and where they were killed, if you have all that information on various kills you can kind of come up with like a hot zone of where your killer may be located. I feel like that's what John was doing here, but I don't, did you get the sense that he was tracking their phasing or he was just sort of doing what I just described, but on a cosmic level? Well, see, 
see, there's also there to, there's also a possibility here that the, the dark stars were not were kind of like laying the breadcrumbs on purpose, because obviously they were setting them up for a trap. So the dark stars may very well have been, they may have been either not phasing entirely all the time, because obviously they weren't phasing to begin with, because they didn't know they could phase. They didn't know they could yeah. phase until they got ambushed. So the reality is that that probably answers the question. They probably were deliberately leaving a, a paper trail, so to speak, so John and the Green Lanterns could figure out where to go so the so they could get ambushed, because clearly at least Tomar, who seems to be, the, at least at the moment, seems to be the nominal leader of the of these guys, that he wanted to kind of get the kind of get the point across he he more he wanted to try to do the whole negotiation detente kind of thing at first to see if they could i guess peacefully coexist which we kind of know it's really isn't going to work <laughs> even if it wasn't yeah. kind of like being forced in the story it kind of we we know based on objectives and things like that that it's probably not really in the the nature of this you know to, to work out for that to, but but we will see but I, but I think that probably was. I, th I think it probably was. I think it probably was a trap more than anything. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I have for my issue. Do you have anything you wanted to talk about? Uh, the only thing, the only thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was kind of something that I kind of uh, alluded to when I did my issue, that I didn't like the idea of the other Dark Star so quickly making it sound like, oh, we should just kill them now. Uh, they're gonna be trouble. We should just kill them. Because to me, that is what I talked about, about kind of like cooking the books right off the bat. That, oh, like the power is corrupting. The power is so corruptive, you know, of the Dark Stars. Or they're picking such horrible people right off the bat that, they, that their side of the argument isn't really going to be a side of the argument at all. Uh, I know they kind of – I know Venditti kind of tries to balance that out with Tomar's speech about the fact that, you know, why do you think, you know, John was so surprised with their numbers? Because basically most people that we've – most of our actions so far have been greeted with pretty much positivity by the by the, by the, by the public at large as opposed – so besides laying the breadcrumbs on purpose to, to try to get people to get the Green Lanterns to be notified so Tomar could kind of spring the trap, it's just the fact that most in general moving beyond any, any planned activity like in sectors or planets where you kind of knew people would talk – the reality is most people seem to be approving of their actions at this point. So while they yeah. are trying to paint it, like they're, I, I think he's walking a fine line. I think he's for the mo from up through four issues. I think he's done he's done a good job at trying to make it sound like this is a, a debate r really worth having and that that it is not black and white. But when you had that one guy already whispering to Tomar, we should just kill them now because they're going to be a problem later. Now yes, Tomar kind of like he kind of. He kind of does open the door for what we see, in, you know, going forward when he basically says we've kind of given them a warning to get out of our way and opening the door that well. If they stand in our way, then we will remove them. Whatever. We'll, we'll do what we have to to get them out of our way. That's still not quite the same as just killing them in cold blood, especially on their, whole, on their planet, their base of operations. But I think that's a bad sign of trying to – when you're trying – if you're really trying to present both sides of both, as at least – somewhat legitimate both sides of the debate and then have the guy right off the bat like oh yeah we should kill him we should just kill him right now because so i i didn't li i didn't like that to me this was this was this issue's equivalent of the controllers being all made you know being overcome immediately and overcome by one dark star too because there was only one dark star online at the time uh so that was that was pretty much the only that was a major issue i had with this the, i mean the art is not as good because sandoval's art is just not as good 
Uh, he can't draw Kyle for shit. Yeah, Kyle's slicked back hair gives gives me uh, issues there. I mean, I, I I get it. Kyle is more of an adult now, and blah blah blah. But I still think he should have like the messy hair he always used to have. And plus, when he does it really slicked back, especially the profiles, like the whole he- shape of his head is weird. It makes yeah. the, it makes the makes the whole head of his shape of his head look weird. It's not that it is weird; it just makes it look weird. Not yeah. so much when it's from the front, when the hair is kind of flowing, like when they're in that uh, splash page flying through space. That's okay, but when you get like the, just a, a profile view with it slicked back, it just makes his head something about it makes his head look really weirdly shaped, and that's just that doesn't that doesn't help the cause either. I don't think. Yeah. All right, you want to take forty-four? Let's do forty-four, which is. Uh, I will say I really like the variant on forty-four. Which one's the variant? Is that the I'm the law one? Uh, I don't know uh, the uh, the I am the law uh, is the regular cover. The variant is interesting. Uh, it is uh, Hal reflected in the uh, broken visor of his um, breathing uh, slash helmet thing that he wears as a fighter pilot, and and the ring is floating above it. Oh yeah, I Have, I think I saw it probably at some point during solicits, but I did not. It's a it's a it's a Tyler Kirkham variant, um, which you can usually tell Kyler Tyler Kirkham style because he's usually drawing figures, but this is a more he's he's drawing the ring and he's drawing a fighter pilot helmet and all this other stuff. So it's it's really interesting. If you can look it up, you can tell me what you think of it. But I, I think it's it's one of my favorite looking variants. I will admit when it first showed up, I was like, that's a cover, like oh, that's gonna look shitty, but. The more I see it, the more it grows on me. That's just, that was for what, 43, you said? Uh, no, that's for 44, for your issue. Oh, for 44, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, How's running the Green Lantern Corps 44 Tyler Kirkham variant? Let's see. Oh, yeah, I see it. I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. Yeah, it is. I, I kind of like that one. Actually, to be fair, I actually like the variant cover for the for 45, too. That's the cover that was pulled for me, and I don't like. I uh, haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's it, it's it's pretty cool. I don't. I mean, I don't. Tyler Kirkham's art again. Like like a lot of artists, it depends on they can draw some characters really well and some other characters they don't. I don't think he draws Hal particularly well. Just like to be fair, you know, Van Skyver does not draw Arkillo well at all. And he draws a horrible Arkillo to be honest. But uh, but that's the way. But a lot of artists are like that. Some characters they get. That they can do really a great job with, and other characters they just don't. So it's just the nature of the beast. It's like everything else. But the, yeah, the the cover for uh, let's see, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to you. This will be the this is the cover for. Uh, yeah, I have 45. I just don't want to close this and open that. All right, so um, let's do let's do 44. Oh yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, one. that one is that one is pretty cool. Uh, so. Let's, let's do the creative team on this because they did kind of gloss over it on mine, my first one. I guess technically... technically Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I just... Sorry. <laughs> I accidentally pushed a button. I oh, wanted to be no, sure. No, you're, you're still there. Uh, so tech, technically speaking, I guess this is... The first two issues we did were the prelude. It looks, this looks like it's actually the first part of Dark Stars Rising proper. Part one, Enemies Closer. Uh, Robert Venditti, Brandon Peterson, the artist, uh, Ivan Plasencia, the colorist, Dave Sharp, letterer, 
uh, Sandoval, Tarragona, and Moray did the main cover. Again, Tyler Kirkham and Moray did the variant. And Andrew Marino and Brian Cunningham are the editors. So we kind of we kind of pick, and I think this was kind of mentioned in the uh, I think this was mentioned in the last issue, uh, recapping the history of Tomar, Tomore, and it was mentioned in the last issue, but we didn't we didn't uh, recap it. Yeah, I know we didn't. That's what I'm saying. It okay. I'm just yeah. pointing it out that it, for those who don't know, I guess. Uh, Goldface, which is a kind of a lame villain just by name, if nothing else. Uh, Goldface was the one ultimately responsible for killing Tomar Ray, and Tomar Ray now is it's kind of like been completely put into canon that he is Tomar II's father, which clearly originally was not the case, but now is kind of the, that is the current continuity. So that was mentioned and that was brought back to our attention in in the first in the first two issues of this arc about how you know. More or less, Goldface was one again one of these criminals that keeps getting put into prison and keeps getting released, and that he was and it was because, that damn yellow weakness that you know being that Goldface was responsible for killing Tomar II's father. So of course here we begin on Earth in Central City, in a prison, the Iron Heights Penitentiary, penitentiary, um, and then uh, Tomar shows up again, phasing into uh, Goldface's cell. And you know, he takes off his helmet, so he so so uh, Goldface knows exactly you know kind of what's coming, and then uh, Tomar proceeds to kill him. Really good too. <laughs> it's a really high class execution. Got, got killed real good. Got, got blown up real good, and kind of got fried, melted. You know his skeleton's there, and, and kind of like frag. You know not, not entirely all in one piece too. It's kind of blown apart. It, it's a real mess. Uh, the artwork in this issue really has leaves a lot to be desired. Otherwise, uh, so later on, Hal is there, kind of a, you know, he's kind of examining examining the body, and more or less, you have to <laughs> he needs the ring to do a DNA scan, because which is kind of weird, because uh, you would think just by the prison cell that the guy was in when he got fried, you would think you would have a reasonable expectation <laughs> who it was that got killed, really. But the well, ring, still, you got to verify. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I mean that, I mean. You don't need a Green Lantern ring to confirm this. It's just for it, it's just it's it just <laughs> it's just for the sake of storytelling. But basically, he uses the ring to confirm that it was Goldface that was killed that you know, got killed. Just like asking what killed him. It's like, geez, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe it was some bad shrimp. What do you think killed him? <laughs> Especially since the conversation just happened between him and Tomar. You know, him reminding that, reminding him of what happened and what and what the Dark Stars. Uh, mission is so we kind of you know we kind of have um so we kind of have uh barry allen shows up and hal and barry kind of talk about this and they kind of and then we kind of have a graphic recap of what happened with uh of tomar uh, tomar ray being killed being killed by goldface that he broke tomar ray's neck and uh how you know hal's mentor pretty much died you know died that day as he's recapping it to barry uh, with Barry, and Hal kind of has guilt over that, so, and he just kind of, just, you know, the way he's, he talks about, you know, basically, Tomar Ray was a mentor to him, and he kind of took over and tried to be, you know, a mentor to Tomar too, kind of like, in a way, cause he, to make up for what happened with Tomar Ray, and, and to pass on what Tomar Ray had done for him, and he feels like he failed, you know, he fails at, he failed at that too, uh, and so that that pretty much you know pretty you know 
that just leads to a general discussion, you know, between Barry and Hal about, you know, being able to, more or less not being able to save everybody all the time, and not, but yet not losing faith in people and this, that, and the other thing. And Hal kind of points out, you know, we don't have much of a choice. If the Green Lantern Corps is going to survive, you know, the Dark Stars, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we're going to need friends in low, friends in low places, which kind of was 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 alluded to at the end of your issue with the title of this one. And again, I want to talk about this whole concept too when we get done with the issue. So, so you have Space Sector, what, 1974, you know, where Guy Gardner pretty much shows up. Look, looking for beer, and then Arkillo in that horrible jumpsuit. Not that Arkillo, Arkillo is not drawn well in this issue either, but Arkillo shows up, and apparently, uh, and Arkillo's got the ring on the wrong hand, too. Um, he's got it on his right hand. Uh, and, and he still has a hand that he shouldn't have, but that's another story, <laughs> continuity problem. So, apparently, we, we find out now that Guy and Arkillo, despite the fact that their cores are pretty much at odds again, have been meeting secretly ever since the, their cores went and s- stopped working together. And Guy more or less kind of gives him a brief rundown on the Dark Stars and pretty much that uh, how that they're 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 a real threat. You know, they're a big enough threat to basically to both of our cores, where maybe you know at least you and I have to work together to deal with it, if not both cores together. Back with our favorite description, transluminal space. We find. Interesting that Kyle gets sent with this job. It's kind of, you kind of figure that maybe Kyle, they didn't have anything really to do with Kyle. I, I mean, not because of where they end up, just looking for the whole space cabby thing, because you think that's kind of more of a guy connection. But basically, got, Kyle goes looking for space cabby, and you know, the, you know, but space cabby's the one with the mother box, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, they use the mother box. They use the mother box to uh, transport them to a new Genesis. And of course, they're kind of being surrounded by some new gods, and all of a sudden, you know, Kyle, you know, Kyle, Kyle's there basically trying to uh, to recruit the new gods. We see John Stewart goes to Sector 2811, the planet Jakul, which is where where we just were a couple of issues ago with uh, General Zod. This is Zod's reigning planet, um, his base of operations. John goes there. He wants to talk to them. Of course, Ursa is the most irrational person known to man. Uh, She's the one who wants to decapitate him right away. You know, Zod's willing to listen, but he, but not really, because he kind of points out you kind of already violated. You know, but just by showing up uninvited, you basically have violated the truce that we agreed to. You know, what you know, how dis, you know, what kind of leader could you know could to to disregard you know the the agreement that we had. You know, you know what kind of leader could you be? And John kind of points out, well, I'm the kind of leader who knows when to when. When he has to join forces against, you know, a, a common enemy, no matter how much I dislike the idea, no matter how much I dislike you, Zod, and you know, Zod kind of like flies out, you know, from his from his throne there, and says, "You have miscalculated, Green Lantern. You're pretty much just one against the, you know, against the house of house of Zod with the double yellow sun, blah 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 blah." John, you know, <laughs> I like this. He initiates a fist bump, and all of a sudden, you know, his 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 hand glows green over his ring, and it says tracking speed and trajectory, and General Zod throws a punch, and John throws a punch in retaliation, and he hits he hits General Zod's hand and breaks it because the thing that appeared on John Stewart's hand was not an energy construct; it was basically more or less kryptonite breast knuckles. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it's like he's like, "Oh my God, my, my hand! It's broken! How?" And, and then of course, you know, Ursa and Junior Zod there amongst their little 
Indigo Tribe-esque lemmings go go after John, and of course, uh, in a way, Zod kind of respects that you know John came prepared, and he, and he calls them off, and then he realizes, oh, it was it was it was kryptonite. It's like, oh, you got me there. That was a good one. And then it's like a, a really poorly drawn John Stewart here. Uh, his profile's like, I got it from a confiscated sample and the evidence vault on Mogo. Right. <laughs> but it's like, are you listening? It's like, are you listening now, General? And that, now, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt there. Okay. Why say that? Why is that first sentence there? Shouldn't it just be, it's kryptonite, are you listening now, General? Why the fuck would you tell Zod where the kryptonite is? That is true, and it, and it's irrelevant. It's just irrelevant in general. Besides the fact that yes, if it is, it is giving him information that you don't need, that you don't want him to have, because he, because he may very well just come up with a plan to try to make, make sure there's no more there, and if there is, to get rid of it. Yeah, it's dumb. It's yeah, it, it's, it's exposition no. for for no real reason other than to as, again, it's kind of like the kind of like he's swinging his dick in front of General Zod. Well, not just that, it's 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 of all people making this mistake, it's John Stewart. Marine and leader of the Corps who would think already not to give his enemy this information. <laughs> it's like, luckily, Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. It's like, luckily the rest of the kryptonite is secured by a password, and the password is, is admin. No, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> password is password. <laughs> the password is 0000, zero, zero, zero or, or better, 1234. <laughs> It's one two three four. Um, it's two eight one four rules with a Z. <laughs> yeah. uh, so now we find which, which is one of the more interesting one in uh, in Metropolis, more or less. Hal Hal's assignment was to go find uh, poor Hector Hammond, who's been kind of like Hector Hammond really has had a shitty end of the stick <laughs> for a long time. Last time we saw him, you know, he was you know kind of being. He was kind of being tortured and probed by the Krolodians there. Um, how they augmented his telepathic abilities. He's more or less been offline ever since because of how powerful he would be if he woke up. But more or less, <laughs> Hal's there to try to wake up Hector Hammond to recruit him to help in their fight against the Dark Stars. And before I, and he starts, he starts snipping some of the, uh, the the wires into the mental, you know, the probes into Hector's head. But then Kyle, excuse me, Hal gets blasted, and it's like bad news, Greenhorn. It's like Atomic Skull. He's here. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. Turkey, turnkey around here, and basically no inmate, no inmates getting out of here, let alone Hector Hammond. It's like you're under arrest. If nothing else, Atomic Skull looks cool. Yeah, he definitely has a suit upgrade, which about time. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, he's always been visually DC's Ghost Rider. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's cool. Of all people, uh, Atomic Skull though, I'll admit, I'm not, I'm not familiar enough with, uh, DC's, uh, New 52 slash Rebirth, uh, initiative to know where he's been and what he's been up to. Is this the first time we've seen him since like Rebirth or even since the beginning of the New 52? I probably am going to guess no, but, but it's. It certainly was a character that it was really surprising that uh let's see I'm just trying to see the new 52 he was in the new 52 I mean it's not like any of Rebirth. us would uh, it, 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 he's not a character that we're 
anybody would have been clamoring for. You know what I mean? It's like, where the hell is Atomic Skull? He was supposed. He was supposedly in Superwoman number one. In prison okay. still, in Superwoman number one in, in uh, 2016. In prison, so. Yes. But but now so because but now because he's, he's reformed trying to, and yes, he's trying to make amends, and that's why he's that's that's why. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. All right. Well, that ties it, it ties directly into the next issue when you read it. There's a there's a without going into too much detail. There's, there's a certain dynamic with Atomic Skull which is related to. How, what Hal uses to talk to Hector Hammond is a dynamic, a common denominator between both of those characters that Hal plays off of. So, uh, what do you think of this art? It, uh, I, you, you made some commentary in regards to Arkillo and so on and so forth, it, but I mean, good. otherwise, Atomic Skull looks good. I think Atomic okay. Skull looks. Go- I think Atomic Skull looks good. You don't see much of Hector Hammond, but he looks okay. I don't think he draws a good John. I don't think he draws a good Hal. Uh, Zod is okay, uh, but then uh, Zod is okay. I, his Kyle is not. I mean, his Kyle actually is probably it's not very detailed. Not very detailed, but it's probably slightly better than uh, uh, Sandoval's. Guy is okay, but, that's, but it's 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 not very good. I mean, I think Barry is okay too, but I think a lot of the and Toma. I can the Dark Star mantle looks pretty cool, and obviously Tomari's look better, you know, facially. But you don't get to see much of them; only two really quick panels. It's okay. I, it's not. I mean, it's not great. I certainly would not. I certainly wouldn't want this to be my. It doesn't. Yeah, have, yeah it, it's not. It's not the regular art I would l- want to be looking at. Well, the only reason I bring it up, and it's not even related to the art, is is the coloring because. Uh, I like that the art isn't ink heavy, uh, too ink heavy to where the coloring gets a chance to pop. Because one thing I, I've, I've always noticed, but I was really able to appreciate here, is Barry's eyes. Uh, I, I, I really appreciate that Barry Allen is and always has been a blue-eyed guy because whenever he, because he's clad in scarlet the entire time. But when you see those blue eyes, they really pop. If he had any other colored eye, it would not be as instantly recognizable. It's almost like it's almost like seeing, you know, if he were to have any other color eye, uh, you would see like a shock of red hair poking out, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's Wally." But when you don't see any hair and you just see those big blue eyes, you're like, "Oh, that's that's Barry. <laughs> that's very clearly Barry." <laughs> So I just always appreciated that Barry Allen had blue eyes because it really looks cool and dynamic, uh, and your eyes are really drawn to whatever the artist is doing with his facial expression when you see Barry's eyes. Um, overall, I think, moving off the art, I think my issue, again, my issue with this issue is that it just seems like some some of the going uh, calling in the cavalry, uh, some of their attempts make a little bit of sense. Kyle going to see, trying to get the new gods because the new gods do owe them uh, multiple ways. I would say that makes sense. I can see Guy and Arkillo, even though again that friendship is it was we know incredibly heavy handed and forced. Uh, that 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 magical bond they supposedly had just because they had that fight they never needed to have anyway. I could, but I could see why they would why they would see Arkillo 
as somebody who might help them, though, of course, realistically, it is more the Cullen Bunn Arkillo than, than, the, than the Arkillo we got in this book, who, because he, there wasn't any semblance of that good, uh, kind of like wanting to be a hero Arkillo that was ever carried over into this book. But I can understand why he would search for him. The Hector Hammond thing is kind of shaky. Uh, I think when you read when you read next issue, you can understand why Hal thought it would be a plus, or why he would, could help. No, but again, there's always but all these things there's potential ramifications for bad, and that leaves you with the whole General Zod thing. That seems really a stupid move, especially how and again when you see read next issue how. John ends up really playing up to General Zod, what he does in order to do that. It just seems like, again, another un-John-like move, and it's like, it just seems like... And and the, and the, base, and the concept behind this, again, it's like, kind of like contrast with what Tomar said. If at, this, if at this point the majority of the universe is not really up in arms about what the Dark Stars are doing, what makes them think so many people are going to see the Dark Stars as, as, as a big threat to them? I know that there are reasons that get thrown in. Again, there are things that John says to Zod which makes sense. Uh, and kind of, again, trying to play with, oh, you were better off, you know, kind of like the whole the whole Nazi thing. You better, you know, if you stopped, you know, if you had just stopped them early, then you wouldn't then, but because you didn't, they become a bigger threat down the road. I understand some of that, but again, it's like I don't necessarily think why that they're going to get that much support throughout the universe. Because it doesn't seem like it's that you know, so because so much of the universe may very well see what they're doing is correct, and I find it also interesting that up to this point, they're not trying to get any. As, as since the the dark stars seem to be setting themselves up, and at least from an from an arrogance perspective, now believe that they are superior to any to all lanterns. Why are they not trying to recruit some of the other lantern corps to fight with them? I mean, and another thing, why would you go to people who share your share the Dark Star's belief? Because, I don't know, maybe we can argue whether or not the New Gods or Arkillo or whatever share this, but, like, are you, are you kidding me? You think Zod doesn't believe that killers need to be killed? You think that the Yellow Lantern Corps, who was founded on killing people... It's basically who share this exact desire, you think they wouldn't agree with the Dark Stars? Like, I don't understand why you would go... I, I get that you could go against other people who maybe don't agree with the Green Lantern Corps, but sh- don't share the Dark Stars view of things, but why would you go after people who share the Dark Stars' belief? That makes no sense. It seems like the it seems like the common thread that they're trying to use to recruit people is the idea that basically they're going to be coming for you next, and that even though you even if they don't specifically say this, hey, yeah, you share some com- common ideals with them, but they're not going to view it that way. They're still going to see you as a criminal because of what you've done. They see themselves. You may think that you're doing the same exact thing. They're going to just see you as a criminal who has committed crimes, who has killed, who deserves punishment, so they're going to be coming after you too. That seems to be the selling point that it's being, it's being used throughout all these recruitment drives to, why to, to get people that it's not necessarily – and I agree with you. I, like I just said, I think, I think it's pushing it to believe that A, they, that they would – not that they would just go to these people, but that, that these people would be you know receptive. But I think that's – but the attempt that they're trying to do is, hey, it's like – they're going to be coming for you eventually. 
If, you, know, you may not think it concerns you, but it's going to concern you because they're just going to get more and more powerful. And you may think you're above this and they can't touch you, but you. But what if you're wrong and this is, might be your only chance to stop them on the ground level? I think I do think this is kind of I think this is going this is shaky. Besides the fact that you can just you, it's like you can just bet the I mean the uh, the odds of this not blowing up in people's faces all, I mean, who they're recruiting and you know at best you're gonna say if they really want to be pat themselves in the back they'll get through the story arc without somebody fucking them over. But the odds of Zod and or Hammond not fucking him over, even if it's just being drunk with power, let's say, on Hammond's side, the odds of that happening are so remote. I mean, I, I just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, what, what are the, I mean, do we think, do we think we're going to see, like, the Sinestro Corps show up and fight alongside the Green Lantern? Is that, is that, do, is that what we kind of think might happen here? Uh, I think I think some members of it because I cannot see Venditti exiting this title without bringing in more than just Arkillo. Yeah. If this wasn't his last story arc, then I'd say maybe we wouldn't see them. But it is his last story arc, and he says it's the culmination of all the stuff he's been doing. So I really would be shocked if we did if all we got was Arkillo out of this. Yeah. Now we 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 may not have. Uh, Sora like have a big conversation. Maybe the only extent we'll see is like in the big final battle between the Dark Stars. We'll see the the Yellow Lantern Corps in like a double page spread with all the other people going up against the Dark Stars. But you know, I I I think we see them in some capacity. I would agree. And the question is, do we see Sinestro? Do we see Sinestro himself? Uh, there's this, because there's a lot of there's a lot of baggage here as far as when you're trying to wrap, and again, and here's and here's the thing that, and I wouldn't be me if I didn't think of this, you try you're trying to recruit people to help you. Uh, wouldn't looking wouldn't try to go and get Saint Walker be a bright move at this point? Hmm? You're already outgunned. Why? Yeah. You're already Give you a out, boost. Yeah, you're already outgunned, and even if the, and, and even if. The I'm try, and I don't even know if they touched upon this in this in this new series that we know and say Walker knows that theoretically he can amp up both of those cores. <laughs> so you're completely outgunned and outmatched power wise. Why would you not at least go out and if if even if you didn't want to introduce any other new blues that he's been recruiting at this point, would you want to get the guy who can amp up both your cores to like over 200 percent by himself? <laughs> and plus, unlock his full capacity too, being around both. I mean that. I'm, and we don't. And to be fair, we don't know that's not going to happen yet. But if I had to bet money, I would bet that it's probably not going to happen. Because <laughs> Saint Walker just keeps getting screwed over. But that's another. And that that's not a that's a that's a thread that you know the Blues have been touched upon in, in his run, but in this new in this new Hal in the Core run, but it hasn't been a major factor. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, I would, but yeah, I, I don't know. It it seems shaky. Would you? Would you? Would it not make sense? You know, for the sapphires, would it not make sense to try? Uh, you you could probably if you if you're playing head games with people to help you. I mean, this would be this could be a good attempt to try to you know to play head games with Larflees too. You would think he's one you could play head games with. Uh, maybe maybe even a maybe even Atrocitus. This I mean this and. A, it would be interesting. It would be interesting. I could see why they wouldn't seek out the Indigo tribe, since once again we haven't seen them interact with the Green Lanterns since they screwed them over in Godhead. God, that's been a long time. Uh, 
So, but it just seems odd that their first choice of trying to get allies are are lots of people that you really wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't trust as far as you could throw them. But, and that's not counting Arkillo, mind you. That's giving them the pass on Arkillo. Just talking about Zod and Hammond and things like that. All right. Anything else about this you want to talk about? Either your issue or uh, any of the issues we've covered so far? No, I think it's, Again, even with the, the, the basically one major problem per issue that I had, I think this is off to a good start. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't think it's changed my vibe on whether I think this is going to end well or not or on whether I'm going to be happy with the resolution. But but it's so far through the first three issues we did here and even the last issue that came out that I read today, catching up with all my books, that I like it so far. So, so far, it, it is a... It has been worth the amount of issues spent on it up to this point, and it's an interesting enough arc. But to be fair, we're only like we're only knocking on we're pretty much only ha- about halfway through this this long arc at the moment. So it, there's plenty of room yet to see for this thing to either become re- his best arc maybe, or to to just fade out like a lot of the other arcs that we've seen. So I'm kind of the jury is definitely still out um, on this one. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some uh, stuff Mark wanted to bring up about, uh, what was it, Han Solo a little yeah, bit? Yeah, and, and I saw Deadpool 2 last night, so maybe we'll talk oh, a yeah, bit about that. Oh, yeah, we could do that. that. That'll be cool, too. All right, guys, we'll be right back. Coming soon from the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet, and I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. (sighs) Okay, you guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world, the Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds, We'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. My name is Bob Fisher, and I'm the host of the Superman Forever radio podcast. On the Superman Forever radio podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher 
to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, guys, we're back. Uh, Mark, you wanted to talk a bit about Solo. Yeah, let's let's let us talk about Solo for a few minutes. Um, obviously, at this point, uh, Solo came out this past weekend, and it it clearly did not do particularly well at the box office. I heard it did worse than Justice League. Is that true? I think it. I uh, I forget. Give me one second. I actually forgot how much Justice League did in its opening weekend, but I'll tell you in one second. Uh, so Solo pretty much did about it. Probably it did about like 84 million in the uh, for the three days, and it did about 104 ish for for the four day weekend. Which is not, you know, it's 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 certainly it didn't. Bu- I mean, from from a pure financial, an opening weekend perspective it wasn't you know it certainly wasn't a, a a bomb of epic proportions yeah it actually did it actually did do worse than than justice league justice league made almost 94 million in its opening weekend so sorry. i mean i i i don't want to start the dc uh slash warner brothers film debate here uh uh but i gotta say if that's not giving you some uh heads up as to what you need to be paying attention to disney then uh <laughs> Uh, you may need uh, some new people in charge because that is a huge warning sign when a Star Wars movie doesn't do better than Justice League did. Yes, and and the main reason there are a couple of re- couple of things I really want to talk about with this. First, for me, of course, the thing that fascinates me about this is the idea that the op- the projections for this movie, probably like about a week or so before it opened, were really high. You kept talking about how good the pre-sales were. And that they were looking at somewhere like around, I don't know, like some like there's they were projecting potentially like around like a hundred like a hundred and fifty million dollar opening weekend or something uh, or higher. And then it turns out that they were you know they were way way off. So for me, being interested in this sort of thing, I really would like to know how and why their projections were off by so much. And again, I'm not blaming. I'm not again. I try not to be a conspiracy theorist, and a lot of people have, which because to me this makes no sense if this was the case. I don't buy that. Oh, Disney was cooking the books to begin with to, to 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 really raise the expectation or to make people think this movie was going to do better than it did because that just sets you up for bigger failure if it doesn't. I know there's a certain yeah. Line doesn't of, don't projections have to officially go back to investors? Um. Well, I'm not talking about what they said all along. I'm just talking based on projections, based on on pre-sales and all the other and all the other metrics that they use. And that's what I'm not sure entirely everything they use. Hmm. But like the same way when they were when they were tracking Deadpool's opening weekend or tracking Infinity War and all these things. So then they usually have a general range, and they usually do fall into the range. Sometimes I mean sometimes they're they're underestimated. Sometimes they over. But the but. But I'm fascinated by how how they were so wrong on this, and and I and again, some people think oh Disney just put that number out there randomly, and I don't believe it because I mean it's not like there's a long track record of Disney on any whether you want to look at Marvel or anything else being really really off, and plus like I said it, it really it, you're kind of like really rolling the dice if you're doing that because if you're projecting your movie's going to have a 150 million dollar opening even though you know the numbers indicate there's no way it's going to open near that. 
you're gonna it's gonna look worse when you don't hit that goal. Plus, the only rationale to do it is that you're gonna basically try to con people into thinking, oh, this, there's so much enthusiasm for this movie, it's got to be good. It's got I have to go see it. I still think that'd be too too risky. So I think there was it's more interesting to see how or more, and why they were wrong to make about this. But it didn't do that well. The cinema score, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes, the critics didn't think it was great. The fans, it's a relatively low uh, fan score. Uh, to be fair, again, it seems like a lot of, it seems like, like people have been going on to Rotten Tomatoes a little bit more now to give it a low score. Because they give movies a low score. I'm not saying a, a massive conspiracy or a group effort. It's just something I noticed today. I looked at all of the Star Wars movies. And even Force Awakens, which I think when we did Last Jedi talk, Force Awakens, I think, was still in the 90s in uh, fan approval, fan rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and now I think it's down to 88. So obviously a lot of stuff, maybe it's just a pushback against Last Jedi, which it may very well be, but a lot of the movies, the fan support, the fan grade has dropped. And But Solo was still better than, uh, and speaking of Last Jedi, that's down to, I think, 46% on the fan score on Rotten Tomatoes. But now, because Solo didn't do well, and I should point out, I saw it tonight, I really liked Solo. I thought it certainly was a hell of a lot better than Last Jedi, as far as I'm concerned. And I think I heard it's a good popcorn flick. It's very, ent- it's very entertaining. It, I mean, it's you know, does does all you know does uh, what's his name, Iron Rick or whatever? Does he does he capture the Harrison Fordness? Not only a few times. Um, and that's, it's not like he's trying to ape his actions or anything. But there are a few, there are a few moments in the way he talks, and the way you know the way things that he says and the mannerisms that you can kind of see that it's the you know it's the same character you know you can you, you can kind of you can kind of see that but um but the movie was it was fa- to me it was pretty fast paced for a movie that's over two hours long it didn't feel like it was over two hours long it the cast was pretty most of the cast was pretty good in it i enjoyed it uh Obviously, and this this is a, this is your thirty second spoiler for people that don't care. You know the big cameo in the movie, which they had, they had talked about for a while. They was gonna, they were going to be a, bring a prequel character in, is because this movie takes place I think at least ten years before New Hope. That Darth Maul is still alive from the time from his resurrection during the Clone Wars to his final demise in Rebels. Darth Maul is still alive during this time frame, so he turns out to be the big boss that Paul Bettany's character is working for, and thus. Kira, our, our lovely Amelia Clark, is really working for it too. So he has a cameo at the end, which is really cool to see. It's been a long time coming to see, and even if there's never a sequel to Solo, I'm sure we're going to see him again because I thought. Did they get the same guy to play him? Yeah. Was it yeah, Jason? Ray Park. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's really cool. They use they use Ray Park. They, so they get the same guy that physically played him in Phantom Menace, and they have the uh, uh, Sam Whit- well, Whitmer, or who does. Uh, the voice who did the voice of Darth Maul in the Clone Wars and Rebels, so they kind of mm. have the iconic, the the only actor to physically play him on screen, but that with the with the voice actor who's now best known for playing him in in most of his appearances actually in canon. So they combine the two. So so that they did he ever even talk in? Uh, yeah, he did. He had a few. Yeah, he had a he had a few lines with. Uh, yeah, he had a few lines uh, with Palpatine and or addressing Palpatine. But it wasn't. Okay. But it wasn't Ray Park doing the voice then. It was. It was somebody else too. Um, <clears throat> so that was always really cool. It was cool to see. Uh, it'd be nice to see that character in live action again because you only see him as a hologram. So it'd be really cool to see. To see. So that was a nice touch. I did. 
I, I like the way they, they did some really cool things with Chewie and Han and interacting and Lando and Han and the Falcon. And they, they, they did nice touches to a lot of things in Han Solo lore. And uh, so it was – I liked it. I thought – so based on the co- the quality of the movie that it is, it definitely deserved better box office and deserved better score. But basically since the movie failed, the big spin has been trying to explain why it failed. And again, it, it, this – to me, it's like the media, you know, why people love the media so much, because it's like they overlook the most obvious explanations for why this movie didn't really work. They overlook that, and they go fishing for stuff they want to fish for, and don't even, and for the most part, not exclusively, but for the, most, for the most part in major articles, leave out the most obvious. Everything they focus on has to do with the release date. It falls into basic arguments that, oh, it was Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend is never a big, big, big weekend, so it was doomed for that reason. Oh, it's because there was too much competition out. They released it too close to a Deadpool and to an Infinity War. So there was too much competition. Oh, it's uh, because it was too close. It was too close to Last Jedi. Uh, and I really want to talk about this one. The so-called Star Wars fatigue. And then the other excuse is, oh, people are now used to Star Wars coming out in December, so releasing it in May was confusing to people, and it didn't make any sense. Even though, of course, there have been ten live-action Star Wars movies, seven of which have been released in May. It was only the last three years under the, since the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney that any Star Wars movie would, was ever released, live-action movie was ever released in a, in a month other than May. May is the traditional Star Wars month. No Star Wars movie released in May has ever had a problem finding an audience except for this one. So I think that's the that's a lame excuse, but the Star Wars fatigue is the one that drives me up the wall the most. Let me ask you this question, Mr. Bokelman. Is there Marvel fatigue? Nope. Marvel released three friggin' movies in six months, all of which, if you look at worldwide, did better than its predecessor of those three. Everyone has outgrossed the other in these three in, in order of their release, in, success, in succession. There is no Marvel fatigue. Why? Because people like their movies... And people are interested in what they're doing. There is no. This is going to be a bad comparison, so forgive me, listeners. I hopefully you know what I'm going for. It's the same thing when like there's a shooting and people blame violent video games. You know, I mean, it, but I mean, like it, it, it's the, the the fatigue thing is just something people tend to throw out when something goes wrong. I mean, it's like, is it the real explanation? No, it never is. Uh, there's there's always something deeper to it. Uh, it just it just makes no sense to me why they keep saying, oh it's fatigue. Because don't get me wrong, they they do it when when uh, even when like a Marvel movie underperforms, when or not even a Marvel movie, any movie, when it, when any superhero related movie underperforms. Let's I mean forget Justice League because Justice League is just in a line of a pattern of behavior with DC. So people have been talking about it badly. With relation to how bad the DC uh, lineup has been executed by Marvel, but let's talk about the beginning of all of that. When, like Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman, even started like causing some controversy and blah blah blah. Any inkling of any controversy is, oh, is this the end of the superhero genre? Is this superhero fatigue? Right. Like if 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 a TV show underperforms, because I'll say this, I've I've watched the entire Black Lightning first season and it kind of dipped somewhere in the middle and then came back up and I enjoyed it at the end. But considering how it performed at the very beginning, all the traction it had behind it, 
and then it took a big dip in ratings. People were like, oh, is this the end of like CW's you know formula? Because they had oh, Flash was doing well, Supergirl's doing well, Arrow's doing well. Like, is is this signaling the end of it? It's like, oh my god, <laughs> can you just judge everything by its own merit and not think the entire genre is collapsing? <laughs> and, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as annoying if they just would talk about the other factors that are that are more logical. Just because they don't want to de- just because it they it's, they don't want to deal with it or it's their own narrative. There's no Star Wars fatigue. There is Last Jedi fatigue, and there probably is Kathleen Kennedy at this point fatigue. Because I have noticed, I have noticed the change because we we talked about this during our a lot of our Last Jedi talk. How people were still throwing out the generic. Oh, what do you expect when you know this is what you were going to expect when to log- it was logical to expect this when Disney took over Star Wars and they were always blaming Disney for what was going wrong or they didn't like about Star Wars. It was Disney's fault, not Lucasfilm. It was Disney's fault. But that has changed a lot. If you really, a lot of the the videos, a lot of the articles, a lot of the pages, uh, I see that there's a lot of animosity, vitriol, a lot of aiming at Kathleen Kennedy now and Lucasfilm in general Kathleen Kennedy specifically since The Last Jedi came out for two reasons I think because they were not happy with The Last Jedi and they were not and this falls this is the same part the same one to me this is the same argument they were not happy with Last Jedi a decent percentage of the fan base and they also were not happy with when they voiced their opinions that were not again they were they were called haters and insulted you know they're all fat white guys living in their parents basement and all these crappy things that were thr- basically the, again the classic shoot the messenger so you don't have to deal with the mess shoot the messenger so you don't have to deal with the message so that's one reason and all the stuff that's been coming out since now that we found out supposedly that yes, there was a plan for episode seven, eight, nine. That Abrams had a plan that Brian Johnson flushed down the toilet, and Kathleen Kennedy let him do that. And the more and more evidence that comes out that yes, Colin Trevorrow had a had a plan for episode nine, which involved Luke and Snoke and and things like that. And they and Kathleen Kennedy wouldn't let him do it because he wouldn't. Because heaven forbid, she goes against the great Ryan Johnson's plan for episode eight. That as the more and more stuff has come out, I think people have zeroed in on her as being part of the problem. So I think there's there's last no matter how you slice it, there's at least last Jedi fatigue. I think it's a little I think it's Kathleen Kennedy fatigue, and it comes back to the basic fact is that nobody wanted this movie. It has nothing to do with the casting of the movie or the quality of the movie. That when this movie was announced, this was a, a anthology movie that nobody wanted. Let's be honest, the two anthology movies they've given us thus far, nobody really was crying for. The only difference was that, number one, Rogue One was going to be coming out, re-released after after Force Awakens came out and had kind of like rejuvenated the fan base. And even when they announced Rogue One, the main negative, there wasn't much of a pushback, but the main reaction slash pushback was, hmm, that was an interesting choice. That's not the, the anthology movie that I would have gone with. But for Solo... There was a lot of nobody wanted to see this movie. This is a movie people didn't need to see. At least with Rogue One, you saw it. Once you saw it, you said, "Okay, I didn't think I needed to see the story, but now that I saw it, it's kind of good that we got to see how the pieces connect." I think a lot of people reacted that way. Uh, and, that, and don't get me wrong, that's not saying Solo. Once you see it, you don't. It. I don't think it affects you the same way. But I think there's. But there's parts of it that make you th- think that okay, that was it was kind of cool to see this. But nobody was nobody was clamoring for a Han Solo quote unquote origin movie, and then unfortunately for it, 
move beyond the, the whole firing of the directors and stuff. Move beyond that. The reality is, any the, the simple reality is any Star Wars movie was going to suffer a little bit, even if it was something people wanted to see coming after Last Jedi, because peop, that put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. If it was a better anthology movie, something people wanted to see, yes, it probably would have done better box office. But there was going to be pushback by a certain part of the fan base because they were pissed over Last Jedi. And Solo kind of just fell into a double whammy of crap. I think it deserved better. I know we're getting – I mean, they have not announced that this is the next anthology movie. We know they announced a Mangold – James Mangold is going to be doing a Boba Fett movie. I damn well hope they st- they they still better if they do that movie next and don't do the Obi Wan movie. I mean I don't know what to tell you. It's like because they are really it's like they're they're kind of grasping. I mean Boba Fett there'll be an interest, but he's still a cult character, and he doesn't appeal to everybody. And it, like to me, I don't give a rat's ass about Boba Fett by himself. Depends, but that depends on the story. You throw in Bosk and IG88 and some of the other bounty hunters and make it kind of like a bounty hunter movie, or even throw in Han Solo. In a, in a Boba Fett movie, that'll have more of an interest. Depending, but th- there's a lot of things that that are shaky about that because we know what Boba Fett's supposed to look like under his helmet. We know what Boba Fett's supposed to sound like, especially after they ret- the, they they kind of retconned ep- uh, five and six to use Tamora Morrison's voice, you know, Jango Fett's voice too. Besides the way he's so he's supposed to look like Tamora Morrison and sound like Tamora Morrison. Yeah, you could kind of say, oh, he had plastic surgery to look different, but we know he has to sound the same because they use the same voice in episodes five and six. That was there for Django Fett in, the, in episode two, so it's still quirky about how they how they're going to do that. I guess they could cast an actor and just have someone do do the voice, but I don't know. That movie has no. But this is a this is something you got to give you got to give Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm credit, even though they really haven't killed this franchise. They've done more damage to it in a short period of time than you ever thought could be could could have been done. So they are at a really tough spot. They're in a tough spot now. Because there's going to be pushback to episode nine, no matter what. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I don't think. I said this. I was talking about this with a, uh, my friend who runs the theater, uh, the the Regal next to me. That I said this even long, like a month or so ago. We were talking about Last Jedi and everything. I said, I, I would bet. Ton, I certainly domestically, I would bet. I would bet tons of money that even though usually the cent, the the middle movie of the trilogy does the least amount of money, I would bet. Bet money that domestically, anyway, Episode Nine will not make as much money as Last Jedi because people were not happy. People are not happy, and they're not happy with the story that's, that we've gotten so far. And yes, the Abrams part of it so far has been the better part, but they're at a they're at a crossroads. They got they have to they have to figure they have to figure out what they're going to do to kind of right the ship, and they probably in paying a little. And giving a little more attention to the fan base probably is not really a, a bad thing. So that's what I always said, and I'm almost done, which is why I almost, what I always said about why it never made a lot of sense to blame Disney because Disney bought – they bought Lucas the film to make money. They would be much more con- – they would – trust me, Disney would rather release a thousand Force Awakens compared to one Last Jedi because they want to give people – they would be happy to give people exactly what they expect as – Tweak it just enough to be a little different, a little different, but basically give them everything they want, they expect, just to keep them coming back and for more, buying more merchandise, this, that, and the other thing. You don't want to alienate your fan base and piss off your fan base. Nobody would make that conscious decision. So that's where Kathleen Kennedy, in her own personal agenda, kind of has taken this, moved away from 
You know, and there and there are there are elements in Solo that I know some people talked about, which is true. The the droids' rights, like you know, kind of like the kind of thing, and the enslavement of droids, and it, you know, it, it's a it makes a cute little you know, scene in the movie, but it's kind of like I don't know. It's so as all it just I feel bad because the movie was the movie deserved better, but as we often talked about, it's how the previous movie is does and pe- how people react to it that's going to affect how the next one does. At the box office, and Solo, even if there was a moderate amount of interest, Solo would have done better than it did, but it still probably would not have been. And plus, this movie cost a shit ton of money. Don't forget, because basically at least three quarters of the movie had to be reshot. So something, I read something today, whether it's true or not, that the 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 guesstimated production budget on Solo was like between 250 and 300 million, which means it has to make a bare minimum. Of 500 million worldwide to make to basically break even, and the odds are it ain't doing that because it hasn't made much money overseas. It was a bit, it was a real bomb so far overseas. It is massively underachieved domestically, in, but overseas has been a disaster. So it probably has no chance in hell of making anywhere close to that money. Because I bet, because it looks like it's going to fade away domestically pretty quick. Because it's already, I looked at yesterday's box office, it only made like one million more than Deadpool, like on Wednesday. So the way it's trending, it's like it's gonna be, it's gonna be here and gone pretty quickly. It looks like, unless there's a sudden, unless it was just a one week, you know, protest for people and then they're gonna go see it. But I, I doubt that's probably the case. Uh, speaking of Deadpool, uh, have you seen it yet? Yeah, I saw it last week. Uh, I, I feel it's as good as the first one. I don't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say it's better than the first one. I think it's at least as good, if not. I mean, if it's worse, guys, it's slightly, slightly worse. I feel like I feel like the tone was still there. I mean, I, I enjoyed everything I saw in it. Uh, I thought it was funny as shit, <laughs> uh, and I laughed my ass off at uh, <laughs> the uh, Wolverine <laughs> uh, cameo thing <laughs> in there. Um, and also, uh, a villain I didn't expect to be in there was in there, of course. And he didn't say the line I was expecting him to say, which bothered me. I don't know if that bothered you. <laughs> which one? The one from the same the same line he, another version of him used before? Yes. Yeah, but that's, that was such a corny line, though. I, don't, if, I, I know, but it was it's so iconic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's iconic, but it's iconic as a reminder of a really bad movie. So, I mean, so, I mean, it would have been... All right, spoilers, guys. So if you don't want to hear, plug your ears, stop the podcast, whatever. All right, sufficient? Okay. Juggernaut's in this. <laughs> and he doesn't say, I'm the juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> if they were going to use that line, it would have been I, – I would have wanted Ryan Reynolds to say it. I would have wanted, I would have wanted Deadpool to say it, uh, if, if anything. Um, my t- I, I liked it. It kind of was what I expect expected it to be. To me, de- to me, whether they intended to do this or not, it seemed, even though obviously any movie with Deadpool is going to be still going to have some uniqueness to it, but to, this movie seemed much more mainstream than the first one did. This seemed much more like, a, from a structural perspective, it seemed like it was much more of a classic, a, a normal superhero movie. Well, maybe, but it was also more gory slash violent than the first one, I think. I think that's true. It's been a long. I mean, I only saw the first one once, and when it was in the theater. So, uh, but I, I think you're, I think you're right. Uh, 
I I do like the fact they did more with the X Men, including the funny cameo. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, I like that they were more accurate because there's a point in there where the Juggernaut uh, says uh, is is talking with Ru- Russell, right? Yes. Yeah, he's talking with Russell, and he's talking about his brother who can read minds, which is which is a, a callback because the Juggernaut is related to Professor X. Step stepbrother, I believe. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. yeah, they're not. Yeah, there's not blood. They're not blood relatives, but they are. Right, but right, they but they relatives. but they do yeah. have a tie-in that yep. we've never talked about in the films before. Yep, yep. Yeah, so, they, so they def they definitely did more. They did more to tie Deadpool into the X universe to begin with, and they did they did try to do more connective tissue. It is now you have we have to acknowledge that it is kind of a little more than a little convoluted. That obviously this movie is supposed to be taking place in modern times, but yet the X Men that we're seeing pretty much are the uh, first class X Men. Yeah. Including with uh, McAvoy as Professor X. So that is that. Even though, of course, they get the you know you get a, the requisite Patrick Stewart joke in there, but still the point is that it, it is like the the current X Men, if you will, uh, the first class going forward X Men age group. Uh, those are the ones you see a cameo of ever so briefly. I wish they had done more with Negasonic, just because she's adorable. But hi, <laughs> <I>, Kimiko. Hi, <laughs> Wade. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, y- the Yukio, whatever. Yeah, that. that yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, that 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 is that that was cool. Um, Cable was all right. I, I I never thought James Brolin was right for that role when they cast him, and not, he nothing that he did in this movie really convinced me otherwise. I mean, uh, I, I mean he was fine. I, I don't have an attachment to Cable, but at the same time, there was one moment that took me utterly out of it. Is when they're all standing side by side, walking away from all of that. You can see how short he is. Which, and, which and, of course and, they, make, they they make the point of making the joke in the movie about it, but they they do they do. But any time I've ever seen Cable, it's like dude is huge. So it's just like it, it it really threw me off to see him shorter than basically everybody else. <laughs> yeah, um, the cable. and I love I I stand out for me Domino. Yeah, she. I mean, again, I have no attach I have no attachment to the character. Uh, but you know, but she was played well. She's attractive, it, so it, it, it was there was there was there was no problem there. You know, you know, killing off uh, killing off his uh, his his girl there. That was even though technically speaking, she's not dead anymore with the with the changing of the timeline at the end. Uh, so, but that was that was kind of a weird thing to do in the. But I guess that sometimes I guess you got to take the chance, and so they did that. Yeah, and the uh, but I just no nothing nothing in particular I wanted to talk about. I just thought you know in case people have heard it, maybe they wanted to hear us talk about it for a minute. And then there's the of course the you you, you could you can't have Deadpool without friggin' yet another shot at Green Lantern, right? So. <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. But uh, my favorite, of course, was the Wolverine shout out <laughs> when he kills. He shoot, he must have shot him like ten times. Which of course we all know still wouldn't work. Yeah, it's so that, exactly. I mean, that's, I, mean that, I mean, I know it's, I know it's a, it's a, it's a cute scene, it's a cute movie, but the reality is we, you know, we, you know, we all know that, you know, <laughs> that's that's not going to do anything, considering that, 
considering he's still got the same friggin' healing factor that you do, dummy. <laughs> but he's just, you know, Brian Reynolds is just so desperate to try to get, you know, to, to get Wolverine in, in his Deadpool movies, no matter what. You know, he's just... And it is, and it is kind of unfortunate because it would be, it would be cool to see them interact. It, it, yeah. it, it would be cool, and I, and I, I still think they, uh, I still think it's good. It probably will happen at some point. I have a hard time believing that Hugh Jackman is never going to play Wolverine again. Um, yeah, and him and Ryan are developing like a real life friendship. So I mean, come on. Uh, there's one, one other thing I wanted to talk about briefly, just to stretch this out even more. <laughs> Um, did you see the stuff I posted on my Facebook page yesterday about, or the day before about the, the Eagle Moss thing? Mar- no, well, the, 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 I can bring that up. That's a good thing. I probably should since it's Green Lantern related. And what I was about to talk about was completely uh, off topic, Green Lantern. But uh, what I was referring to, I'll save that for last. Uh, uh, what I was referring to actually was the stuff I posted on my personal page. The stuff that's coming up, Spider Man wise, the solicits. Uh, no, I don't think I saw that. I was flipping through the latest previews. It came out this last Wednesday. Uh, and and this is the stuff that's shipping, I'm guessing, in July. Is that right? It's usually two months out, right? Yeah, I think so. Or would this be August? Uh, I'm, sh- I'm trying to remember. How, it's been a while since I've actually had a physical copy of preview, so I forget um, how... But I was... Fl- regardless, I was flipping through, and I saw a bunch of Spidey-related stuff, and... Of course, Venom-related stuff. And since Venom is coming out later this year, the movie, and I'm reading the Venom title and all this, I thought I'd, I'd talk a bit about it. Uh, first up, there's going to be a title called Venom First Host. Oh, yes. I, did, gonna, hear, I did hear about First Host, yes. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a, a, a five-issue mini uh, written by Mike Costa with art by Mark Bagley. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Um before the Amazing Spider-Man, before Venom, there was the first host, and that first host has returned in need of Venom's help. Only by reuniting can the two avert cosmic ruin. Can Eddie and the symbiote trust one another long enough to save the galaxy, or will the first host prove to be Venom's ending, or undoing, rather? Uh, so there's that. And then an ad that says Spider-Geddon is coming. So we've had Spider-Verse, we had Venom-Verse, we had the whole Poison thing, and now Spider-Geddon is coming because Edge of Spider-Geddon number one and two of four have been solicited. Um, the second one, I'm not going to read the solicit text for because I don't care about that particular Spidey as much, but the first one was immediately going to grab my attention because of all Spideys. Who's it featuring? It's featuring a story on Spider-Punk. And I adore Spider-Punk. Mark knows I got the figure um, back when I had a job. <laughs> uh, but I was excited to have that. And what I was, I was excited about that is because Spider-Punk is back and better than ever. After Spider-Verse, uh, Hobie Brown was a web warrior. But that didn't mean things back in his universe were solved. The writer of the Spider-Punk story in Spider-Verse is back and joined by Venom's Gerardo Sandoval. Spider-Punk's Earth is under attack both on the ground and from space, meaning his responsibility seems to outweigh his power. Don't miss this first shot of the Spider event of 2018. Um, I'm excited. I I like the design of Spider-Punk. When Spider-Punk was introduced in the Edge of Spider-Verse, 
uh, storyline. It was really cool because, Mark, did you ever read Spider-Verse or Edge of Spider-Verse, any of that stuff? No, I don't think I ever did. I, it's possible I have a loan issue somewhere, but I'm pretty sure I just opted not to. And for those of you who don't know what Spider-Verse was, um, you were very least familiar with a character that was introduced in it, Spider-Gwen. That's where Spider-Gwen got. I, I have the first appearance of Spider-Gwen because I have the entire Spider-Verse event. Uh, and I just was loving that and all that. But Spider-Punk, so check this out. It's a really cool story. It's got a punk rock sort of feel to it, of course. But on, on Spider-Punk's world, he's an Afro-American. Uh, and I believe they, they, that's, that's the way they, they uh, describe him. And he, um, on his world... Osborne is the president, President Osborne, I believe, and he has a like an army of soldiers, but they're all symbiotes. He's either figured out how to manufacture symbiotes or he's gathered them or he's cloned Venom. I don't know what's happened, but in order for Spider-Punk to fight back against the establishment, what is the symbiote's weakness? Sound waves. Interesting. So, so sound waves and vibrations. So he fights back with music. Like he's got this massive, and we're talking. This is like a punk sort sort of story. So when he strikes a chord on his guitar, he's got like a twenty foot tall speaker behind him as the symbiote uh, soldiers are approaching. So it's a really cool visual. So I just, I mean, with the visual, with the the concept, it may be cheesy, but I loved it. So I'm really excited to see the original writer for that story come back and see if that's sort of there. And it, it makes me think that maybe we'll see more of this, uh, a continuation of that story rather than a news story because they brought on the Venom artist. So I'm really curious about where they go with that. Another thing... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's no, go on. Another thing, Web of Venom, Venom, number one. That's V-E apostrophe N-A-M, like Vietnam and Venom put together. Why? Well, this is by Donny Cates and Juanan Ramirez, maybe? Uh, as the United States of America struggled through the Vietnam War, Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. needed a secret weapon. And when an ancient creature was discovered at an archaeological dig site, he was sure he'd found it. In reality, the discovery was an ancestor of the Clintar symbiotes and would become a waking nightmare for a pl platoon of American soldiers. And it says spinning out of the pages of Venom. So it's an ancient relative of the symbiotes on planet Earth in the Vietnam War with Nick Fury. Oh, those symbiotes. And it says spinning out of the pages of Venom, which I have to bring up, Venom number five. An ancient Klinatar uh, has awakened on Earth, and with it, something has stirred in Eddie Brock's symbiote. And while Venom would never do anything to hurt Eddie or an innocent person, the ancient symbiote has no such qualms. So, just wanted to bring that up because it's interesting. They're going to be introducing this ancient symbiote within the pages of Venom, but also providing us its backstory, not within the comic itself, but in a completely different story slash issue showing its origins and stuff in the Vietnam slash I guess we'll call it Venom is that is that what we're supposed to like 
like we're badly pronouncing Venom. Probably. So that was cool. I wanted to bring that up. And one other thing I wanted to bring up that isn't symbiote or Venom related. They solicited. It's 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 very rare that Marvel will put out an a trade or an omnibus or something that I really want to go after other than stuff I'm already reading. Like at some point I want the Spider-Gwen series on my shelf and the Thor series on my shelf with uh, uh, Jane Foster as Thor, that, that particular yes. Thor, so on and so forth. At some point I want all that on my shelf. So when I see those solicited and the, like the Venom stuff I'm currently reading, I see those and go, I, I'd like those, but I'm in no rush to buy them. They solicited an omnibus Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, yellow, blue, gray, and white omnibus hardcover. So if you were a fan of Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray, or the Captain America White series by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, all of those four series are collected into an omnibus. So, I never read Spider-Man Blue or Hulk Gray, I think I've read an issue or two of Daredevil Yellow, but I heard from people that that's everybody's favorite. And I read all of Captain America White. Did you ever read any of these? Because I know these were extremely popular when they came out. I don't think I read any of them. They don't, I don't, nothing's ringing a bell. But it'll be 100 bucks. It's uh, full color, of course. It's 664 pages. So... Uh, I'll just, in case anybody uh, has read one of these series but not the other, I'll read the solicit. All four of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's classic color masterpieces in one atmospheric hardcover. Blind acrobat Daredevil was inspired to heroism by the example of his prizefighter father, but Matt Murdock is a young man in love with Karen Page. Relived Daredevil's heartwarming and heartbreaking debut. Then Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy want to spend the rest of their lives together, but first Spider-Man must run a gauntlet of his greatest foes. No matter how powerful the Incredible Hulk becomes, his heart can still be shattered by Betty Ross, the daughter of his greatest enemy. And Captain America battles beside his best friend Bucky behind enemy lines in World War II. Touching and insightful tales of superheroism from an Eisner Award-winning team. Collecting Daredevil Yellow 1-6, through six, Spider-Man Blue 1-6, through six, Hulk Gray 1-6, through six, and Captain America White 0-5 through five for $100. So... If anybody was a huge fan of those, and I, I, I know a lot of people out there w- were, so if you, uh, if you're curious about those, I would definitely recommend checking that out. But I guess we should talk about the <laughs> what you brought up. That's actually <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think to do that myself, but all right. <laughs> so uh, I, I said it on Facebook. I'll say it here. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know one of the things that I collect, Mark likes all the rings and the figures and stuff, but one of the things I collect, because I have limited space, is the Eagle Moss collectible figures. The, I want to say, it's two, three-inch tall lead figures of various characters. They did DC characters, Marvel characters, so on and so forth. Right now, Eagle Moss has been releasing like a bunch of Batmobiles, um, and and things like that. Um, but uh, I've got a full set of Lantern figures. In fact, the only thing I'm missing, uh, I'd still have to get someday, is Solomon Grundy, because I feel like he would fit in here. But I've got the entire, uh, the leaders of each of the, the, the spectrums, you know, Blees, Parallax. I've also got 
Ganthet, White Lantern, Sinestro, Aresia, Deathstorm, Necron, Anti-Monitor, Kilowog, Black Hand, so on and so forth. Um, But they just released uh, or announced, uh, I think back in February, that they're actually going to be doing a line uh, of the Justice League, the animated series. Um, Of course, they're starting with uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. But they uh, just announced uh, uh, Green Lantern. He's going to be number three in this release. So it's going to be Green Lantern, Jon Stewart, done in the um, uh, Bruce Timm style from the Justice League animated series in the uh, lead figure Eagle Moss style. Um, it's really cool looking. They're going to be doing the entire original lineup. We got Martian Manhunter. We got Jon Stewart. We got Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Flash, and uh, Hawkgirl. It'd be interesting to see if this this uh, line got enough traction to where we got like some Justice League unlimited characters like Green Arrow and so on and so forth. Uh, question would be really freaking cool, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, what did you think when you saw this? I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I'm not a hu- I mean, I don't have a huge attachment to the animated show, uh, and I don't have I I don't have that much John Stewart stuff. I have I have some. I think the Blackest Night. I think there was a Blackest Night, John Stewart. I have the Mattel, John Stewart from the, uh, the what you call it, the uh, what the hell was that? I'm trying to look at the the DC the DC Universe lines, the Build a Figure lines. Uh, so, but but I thought it was cool. I mean, I do have a bunch of the Eagle Moss statues. I'm not I'm not as religious about it as you are when it comes to making to try to get all of them. Uh, I, I, I like them. I, I mean, I, they, they all fit on one shelf on my five-foot glass display case. I mean, it's hard not to like something where you can have the entire collection take up space on one little shelf. I mean, that's that's why I, that's why I like it. And by the way, guys, if you go over to the Facebook page um, you and you scroll down to my post about this, one of our listeners... Uh, asked about the Eagle Moss line, and I just recently, as, as a matter of fact, while Mark and I were recording this, took a picture of that shelf and posted an image of my collection in response to his comment so he can see how big they are. They're slightly, they're maybe an inch taller than your standard sh- shot glass, except for the larger figures like Kilowog, Anti-Monitor, Necron, so on and so forth. So, sorry to interrupt you, Mark, I just wanted to... No, it's okay. So yeah, so it's they're they're cool. I mean, it's it's nice that they are nice collectibles. As I think we've discussed before, the problem is if you're if you order them as opposed to picking them up in a store, that you just sometimes the paint jobs are kind of shabby or damaged, or you have to worry about chipping and things like that. So that it's 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 a it's it's by the nature of the beast because of the way you know the way they're made and everything else and how fragile they are. It's you do have potential problems if you're not looking at them, but like having them in your hand when you're buying them. So, yeah. But other than that, they're, co- they're cool. And the standard figure is like fifteen to twenty bucks. Um, at least they were fifteen when I was getting them. Uh, maybe it's been a while since they released anything new DC Comics wise, so maybe their price point has gone up. Um, but the standard figures were fifteen. The larger figures. Like Necron, Kilowog, Anti Monitor, so on and so forth. Those figures were like thirty a piece. So, 
Uh, you can you can get deals on them someplace. I think Mark, you got yours off Big Bad Toy Store, right? Some of them. Uh, DCBS. DCBS. Yeah, okay. that's where I got. That's in fact the last one I got, which wasn't that long ago, since I never had one, was Cyborg Superman. I got Cyborg gotcha. Superman not that long ago. I actually didn't. I actually don't have him. I may. I I, I did get uh, Superboy Prime and stood him next to Anti Monitor in the back, but I never got Cyborg Superman. I, I probably should, but for some reason I associate Superboy Prime with Green Lantern Corps more than Cyborg Superman, which is odd given that both of those characters associate just about evenly given the storyline that they both participated in. <laughs> True. Uh, but I really need I really need uh, uh, Solomon Grundy just because I've got Alan Scott in here. As a matter of fact, guys... Uh, Mark posted a Ring Cyclopedia today, uh, so you should definitely check that out uh, over on our YouTube channel. I was actually thinking of some point, uh, you know, when I have expendable income, I was going to buy one of those motorized, slow-rotating uh, discs uh, off of Amazon and start doing reviews of these Eagle Moss figures. You know, I can post a video of it slowly spinning while I'm doing some voiceover and showing some some of the, the figure in the the information about it. Cause all of these uh, characters uh, from Eagle Moss actually come with like a, a booklet, uh, a maybe magazine sized book about the history of the character. And it's not like one or two pages. It's like five or six pages. Yeah. And at least like the newer, the, the newer figures obviously will have the either talk about the new, the new 52 stuff and or the rebirth stuff too. Um, so it depends when that when it was made. Like I at least I at least know the cyborg Superman sub does talk. I think it talks about both. I know it talks about the new fifty two. It might very well also talk about you know the pre birth stuff going back. You know bringing basically bringing bringing Hank Henshaw back since obviously they they, they went the bad non Hank Henshaw route when they first did the but uh, the new fifty two version of of cyborg Superman for sure. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about uh, before we close out and tell people where to find us? No, I think I think we got a lot in it in about a little under two hours. All right. Uh, well, go ahead. Tell people where they can find us. Lanterncast.com. <laughs> <laughs> that is all. No, uh, Lanterncast.com for our website. Yes, Ring Cyclopedia episode. Just there'll be more coming. That was. It's nice. It was hard to believe it's been so long since we actually not we did we obviously did the Facebook exclusives that were more recent. But going back to see the proper uploaded episodes, it's like it was quite some time. I was kind of shocked to see how long it how long it had been since we had done one. So uh, probably I'm I'm gonna go out on the limb and say probably there'll be at least a couple more between now and uh, beginning of July. That's that's the goal at least. Uh, so email lanterncast at gmail.com. That is the easiest and best way to contact us. Also, I have the voicemail, which no one seems to use lately, but it's okay. It's still there. 708 Lantern. <laughs> uh, let us know what you want to hear and what you thought about, uh, just in general, uh, our episodes and Ring Cyclopedia, what you think of that, everything. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please give us a positive review. And you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those, or both of those, I should say. All right. Uh, I, that's going to do it for tonight, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.